Okay, let's quickly pray, and then we'll just give the morning to the Lord. Father, we just thank you right now for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy and for your grace. And Lord, the fact that you're such a good God. And I know sometimes, God, we, we kind of, we don't see that all the time. We sometimes stand behind a veil and we go, well, God, are you really good? But if we really press in, we'll see your goodness. We'll see your greatness. We'll see what a loving and kind God you are. And so, Father, this morning, as we come around your word once again, and as we look at these verses in Scripture that we've been focusing on these last couple of weeks, I just pray that there'd be a freedom in this place, Lord, and uh, a freedom not only in our hearts and minds, but, God, a freedom for you to come and, and do the work that only you can. May we be sensitive to where you are working in people's lives, and may we draw closer to you, and may we experience more of you, because, Lord, I, I, for one, am desperately hungry for more of you. I want to know you in a deeper, more intimate way. I want to know your love, Lord. I want to know your forgiveness. I want to know your mercy. I want to know, Lord, what you have in store for me. And I don't think I'm the only one, God. I think there are many amongst us, Lord, who, who look to you in all things. We just bless your name right now, and we, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Well, um, what have we been talking about? Yeah, the gifts, spiritual gifts, right? We're talking about spiritual gifts in, uh, in this letter that Paul wrote to this church in Corinth a long, long time ago. The city of Corinth, which probably in nowadays we'd call a village. I mean, we call them cities in, in you know, scripture, Bible times, but really, if you go back in history, they'd, they'd be no bigger than a tiny suburb. It's like a village. Anyway, so the city of Corinth, Paul writes to this church that's been established there, and there's been some stuff going on in this church around spiritual gifts. In fact, there's been a bit of misuse and dissension in this church, and there's been some sinful, ugly stuff that hasn't been addressed in the church. If you read Corinthians, you, you find out about that. But uh, one of the things around the spiritual gifts is that um, Paul doesn't come and say, stop it, stop it. In fact, he says, no, no, I want you to desire these gifts. I want you to earnestly desire these gifts. And uh, he encourages uh, that church community to pursue God for those gifts of the Spirit but he says, when it comes to the exercise or the operation or the flow of these gifts when you gather, then there needs to be some kind of order. So don't become crazies. Don't be berserk around these things. But earnestly seek them because God wants to work in, in, in this way through the utilization of, of these gifts. So now today, I'm, I'm going to move on and I want to talk about miraculous wonders. That's the NIV translation of this spiritual gift. Miraculous wonders. Some translations call it the working of miracles. Now, I've been trying to do two by two, but I feel like I'm trying to pack too much in on a Sunday morning around these gifts. So I'm going to come to talk about this one gift this morning, miraculous powers or the, or the working of miracles. And I want to go back to the end of the 4th century and the beginning of the 5th century. Do any of you know... Uh, a famous theologian who lived around that time. Come on, are you you're church buffs? You know, like you all know your church history and stuff, no? Oh, blank faces. Anybody ever heard of the name Augustine? You heard of Augustine? St. Augustine? St. Augustine, he lived towards the end of the 4th and the beginning of the 5th century. And uh, he was um, really instrumental in the thinking of, of the church. Uh, he was a, a bishop. He didn't start out as a bishop, but he became the bishop when he took over this church. Uh, in, in a, he became the bishop of, of Hippo. And uh, I don't know where Hippo comes from, 
But this, this, is, the, this is like the uh, kind of towards the end of the, the Roman uh, Empire. And I mean, they were right around that Mediterranean basin. And this area where he was a bishop, the Bishop of Hippo, uh, actually to, in today's world would be in, in the country of Algeria. So he was the Bishop of Hippo. But Augustine, probably since the time of the Apostle Paul that we read, you know, we read his, his writings in the New Testament, from the Apostle Paul, probably right through to the 16th century, to the time of Martin Luther with the Reformation, uh, there, there was no other person more influential on the, on the, the, the impact and the thinking of the church than, than, than Augustine. He really had an amazing impact on the direction the church took, the thinking of the church. He was a very, very clever man. He was a scholar. He was a philosopher. He was a pastor, but he was a, a speaker, and he, and he wrote many manuscripts and books. And like I said, he lived uh, his life the end, towards the end of the fourth, beginning of the fifth century. But what's really interesting about Augustine, and I find this pretty interesting, was that he was very skeptical about miracles and very skeptical about the use of spiritual gifts in the church. And I find that quite interesting because if you take a timeline of history, he was only a few centuries, like four or five centuries away from the early church that we read about in Scripture. And he was really skeptical just a couple of centuries later about the fact that the, Holy, that the Holy Spirit still moved in the midst of God's people. He was really skeptical about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I, f I find that quite interesting because, yeah, we are we're in the 21st century, right? So we're much further away, away from the time of the Apostle Paul. And, and, and today, there's still quite a few people who, who hold to what Augustine held to, which, which was the cessation of the gifts. They, didn't, they felt like, well, that was only for the time of the apostles, but from then on, there was, there was nothing happening. But, but, but I'm glad that Augustine actually woke up, and he, and he, he recanted on what he had previously taught and, and uh, what he uh, had, had written about the use of the gifts and the working of the Holy, Holy Spirit. Um, he wrote a, his final work was called The City of God. The city of God, and he printed quite a quite a number of retractions. And one of the things that he changed his mind about in this last writing of his life um, was the continuing activity of the Holy Spirit in the church. He he came he, he he came to a point where he said, "Hang on a sec, hang on, the Holy Spirit is active in the church. The gifts of the Spirit are active in the church." And and do you know what changed his mind? No? Okay. What changed his mind was that he began to personally witness the power of the Spirit moving in, in his church. He personally witnessed some miracles. In fact, he prayed for a young girl who died and she rose from the dead. It's quite amazing. Um, he, he, he just began to see these things, prophecies, miracles, healings, and he realized that God had never, ever, ever withdrawn the power of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit from the church. In fact, he came to the conclusion that God's full intention was for the work of the Spirit and for the gifts of the Spirit to be in operation in the church until the end of the age, until the time that the Lord Jesus Christ returns. This is what he wrote in, in the city of God. He, um, he wrote this. He said, um, we cannot listen to those who maintain that the invisible God works no visible miracles. We cannot listen 
to those who maintain that the invisible God works no visible miracles. And he goes on and he says, God, who made visible heaven and earth, right? We can go outside and we can see the earth, we can see the sky, we can see the heavens at night. The God who made all of that visible, Augustine wrote, does not disdain to work visible miracles in heaven or earth. God who made visible heaven and earth does not disdain to work visible miracles in heaven or earth that he may thereby awaken the soul which is immersed in things visible to worship him the invisible do you all understand that do you need an interpretation in fact what augustine's saying over there is that one of the ways that the invisible god makes himself known one of the ways that the invisible god makes himself manifest to us who see in this physical realm is to show himself through the working of the miraculous. In, in other words, it's like heaven, the realm of heaven, the realm of God breaking into our reality and something happens that we cannot explain and we go, what is this? And it is the invisible God making himself visible through the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes? Should I, interp- should I get another language up here? You all understand? This is Augustine. In fact, he, uh, there was an incident where there was um, one Easter morning he had a service. And you know what happens on Easter? Everybody goes to church. Oh, it's the one time that everybody tries to like, go to church. And so it's a packed house in his church. And uh, he's there as the bishop. And there, there's a brother and sister who were quite well known in, in the city. Um, their names were Paulus and Pallidia. And they, they both suffered from palsy. So they had these tremors that were in their body, this continual shaking in their body. And they went into worship that that Sunday morning. And uh, as they were standing in the congregation, uh, Paulus began to pray. And the people around him, it was packed like, you know, like here. And so he's praying and 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 he's got these tremors and stuff and his body's got, you know, the palsy. And and after a while it stops. And uh, people know them. The people, in the, congr- the people around him in the church look at him and go, what, 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 what's going on with Paulus? And, the, and, 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 and then they began to shout and they began to praise God. What's going- Thank God, praise the Lord, because a miracle, the Holy Spirit just touches Paulus in that moment and he's healed from the palsy. And Augustine is standing in the front of the church and he sees like a group at the back, they're just like going, what's going on? What's going on? It's Paulus, it's Paulus. He's healed. What do you mean he's healed? And, and Augustine starts to try and explain, well, it's, it's got to be the work of God, the work of God in our midst. And as he's beginning to try and explain, you know, God's busy, God's doing some stuff. There's another shout that breaks out because right at the back of the church was his sister, Polydia, who was also suffering these really bad tremors and the Holy Spirit touches her and she gets healed. And everybody in the church starts to jump and to shout and to scream praise the lord hallelujah they they know them they know that they've struggled with this for years and years and years and here god comes and moves in their midst isn't it amazing let me tell you what what augustine said about it he said in his book the city of god such a shout of wonder rose from men and women together that their exclamations and tears seemed never to come to an end They shouted God's praises with such a noise that our ears could scarcely bear it. Can you imagine being in a church service like that? Please, Lord, just once in my life. 
that such a miracle takes place where people can say, without a doubt, something amazing and extraordinary has happened here. What an amazing thing it would be for people to begin to shout with such a noise and praise God with such a noise that our ears could scarcely bear it. <laughs> Bring out the earplugs. Hey, can, can, you, can you just... I mean, what was going on in Augustine's church? In fact, what was going on in the New Testament when we read about these, these healings and these miracles and these prophecies? Well, we're seeing the work of God in those moments. We're seeing God come and touch an individual. We see God come and bring healing. We see God coming to bring a word, to bring insight into people's lives. But not only were people experiencing the miracle working God, they were also getting a preview of the coming kingdom. And that's what happens when heaven breaks into our realm, when the Spirit of God works in such an amazing way and the, and the gifts of the Spirit begin to flow and there are miracles and there's an extraordinary, amazing thing that God, be, God begins to do. We are actually getting a view of what is to come. We are getting a little snippet of what life is going to be like when the kingdom of God fully comes at the return of Jesus Christ. Every single time we witness the miracles, the miraculous, every time somebody, if we read in Scripture and we see somebody being healed, when we see uh, God intervening in nature to multiply loaves or to calm storms, or every time somebody is raised from the dead, we're actually beginning to see a preview of what is to come. And what is to come is the resurrection of everyone who has died as a Christian, anyone who has died in Christ, at the end of the age, they will be resurrected. Every person, every baby, every, every little one, everyone who's been persecuted, everyone who has found themselves in Christ will be resurrected and we will be in a place, the scripture teaches us, where there will be no more pain or suffering or tears. Where we will hear the voice of God, where we will, will see him face to face. I, can't, I actually think I really look forward to that because we often think of this world in which we're living as, as reality, but I really believe ultimate reality is still to come. Ultimate reality is still to come. So we've been talking about life in the Spirit. We've been talking about spiritual gifts, and today I'm talking about this gift of miracles. And uh, I want to go back to uh, the text that we've been looking at in 1 Corinthians 12, and Paul writes here to this church, he says, To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. And we spoke about those two giftings, a word of knowledge and a word of wisdom, two weeks ago. And then Paul writes, to another, faith by the same Spirit. And to another, gifts of healings. We saw that last week. It's not in the, in the singular, it's in the plural. Gifts of healings by that one Spirit. And when we talk about the gift of faith, we're talking about mountain-moving faith, right? We're talking about an extraordinary work of faith. God welling that up in, in, in that moment through the Spirit. To another, uh, miraculous powers. And that's what we're going to be talking about today, or the working of miracles. To another, prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another the interpretation of tongues. He goes through all these giftings over here, and then he says, all of these are the work of one and the same spirit, 
and he gives them to each one just as he determines. In other words, when people are open and ready to receive, the Spirit of God can come and work through you and cause a miracle to happen, can cause uh, something out of the ordinary to happen because you're open and you're ready to receive the, the, the gifting of the Spirit in that moment. And just because you might operate in that gift doesn't mean that the Spirit is just going to leave you with that gift. It's like God uses you in that moment and then moves on and... Uh, somebody else might have a gift. It's, it's, it's not like you, that gift is yours. It's God, the Spirit using just as He determines, as He looks through um, the group of people who've gathered together. Like today, how many of you are ready to receive a gift from the Holy Spirit? If the Holy Spirit was standing here in the corner, Bert, if, it's a, if I was the Holy Spirit, going, am I ready? I'm, let me just see who's ready. To, who's ready. How many of you are ready? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. Fresh. And the Spirit of God just moves through you and says, lays a word on your heart. And what do you do with that word? You share it. Good on you. Because if you don't share it, firstly, you're quenching the work of the Spirit and you, and you are holding back the work of God. But if the Spirit's going to use you, then be obedient in the use of that gift. Risk it. Risk it. Risk it. Okay? Risk it. Sometimes, sometimes faith means that you step out and you take that risk. And it's not about you. It's about the work of God. It's about the work of the Spirit. All, all we have to be is available. Okay, so in verse 10, Paul speaks to us about miraculous powers, about the working of miracles. And, and the word miracles, it's a word that's used quite cheaply, isn't it? Have you ever been to a supermarket where you've looked along the products on the, on the, you know, the shelves? If you, especially if you go to like the household cleaning area, you probably will find. Do me a favor. Next time you go to Woolies or Coles, just go down like the skincare, the personal hygiene, or those, and, and see. Just see how many products contain the word miracle in them. There's lots of the skincare cream is miracle. It's a miracle cream. It's going to do this to you. It's used quite cheaply, even in food products. You know, you'll find that word miracle just pops up. So you know, is is that what a miracle is? Yeah, I think it's, 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 it's a cheap use of the word. You see, when it comes to a biblical understanding of the, of the miraculous, what we've probably got to do, like we did a few weeks ago, is we've probably got to go back to the Greek, because the New Testament was written in Greek, and the translators did their best to take what was written in the Greek and try, and to, try to make it understandable in, in English. But we've got so many English translations, and sometimes we miss what the intent was out of the Greek. So I'm going to go back and I'm going to pull out three Greek words this morning. The first one is the word paradoxa. Now paradoxa, we get our English word paradox from it. But paradoxa means something happening that we would not normally expect to happen. Something happening that we would not normally expect to happen. Something happening in the natural order of things that we would never have anticipated. Okay? So paradoxa. The next word is the word dunamis. This is from verse 10 where it speaks about the, the, the working of... Hallelujah, little sister. Is it little brother or little sister? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Um, so in, in, uh, it's, uh, it talks about this, this working of miracles. The word in the Greek used that the Greek uses is the word dunamis, and the word dunamis means power. So again, if we're going to understand what the miraculous is all about from the scriptures, we can we can know that when it comes to the working of miracles, it is a display of power or authority. And then another word is the word semea, and semea means a sign. 
And so if you go back into the Greek, you'll find these words. And from these three words, paradoxa, dunamis, and samea, we could probably come, we could probably put together a little bit of a definition around what a miracle in, in biblical terms looks like. So here's a little definition. Uh, miracles are something that's happened which is utterly unanticipated by us and which provides a sign to us of the presence of a powerful authority at work amongst us. Did you get that? Okay. Something that's happened which is utterly unanticipated. In other words, I never expected that to happen, Bert. Hallelujah. And it provides a sign of the presence of a powerful authority at work amongst us. And the powerful authority that we want to work amongst us is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God working amongst us. It's an utterly unanticipated authority and power at work. And the activity of the Spirit of God is a sign to us, not only that God can intervene in the world in which we're living right now, but it is also a sign of what we can expect one day. It is a sign of the coming kingdom of God. And when something miraculous like that happens, what do you do? Tell everybody else. <sighs> oh, God's working. Oh, praise the Lord. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what. If that's you, I'm in the wrong church. Because we, if you, if you want to go, if you, I want, I, I'd be going back, going, bah, 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 I'd probably be bawling like a baby and, and saying, Lord, Lord, I, I, it, it would be, it would be amazing. Because the sign of the Holy Spirit working in the miraculous, that's where we get those words awe and wonder. What? What? That's why miracles in the Bible. When we read about miracles in the Bible, we often, we often see them referred to as signs and wonders. It's the signs of the kingdom of God, provoking an awe in us, provoking a wonder in us. I'm going to give you a couple of examples from Scripture. The first one here is from Acts 9, verse 40. And, and, and this woman whose name was Tabitha, in the Greek her name was Dorcas. The Bible says her name was Dorcas in the Greek, but it's Tabitha. And she had died. And, and the people were all in the room, and, and, they, and they'd called Peter, and Peter goes in, and Peter says, come out, 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 out. And you can imagine a dead body lying in this room. And it tells us that Peter got down on his knees and, and began to pray. And then he turned toward the dead woman and he said, Tabitha, get up. And she opened her eyes. And seeing Peter, she sat up. But just a moment ago, it was flatlining. This is the work of the miraculous. This is God working a miracle. I want to show you a different kind of miracle from Acts chapter 13. Because sometimes we always think that the, the working of the miraculous, we always think is, whoa, this is amazing. And it's like, wow, and we're all happy about it. But let me tell you, sometimes the working of the miraculous can also be like, whoa, this is amazing. And this is pretty serious. So in this example, Paul, the Apostle Paul, had, was, was witnessing to this Roman guy, who, a proconsul, who had authority over this geographical area. 
And Paul's witnessing to him. And he's telling him about Jesus. He's telling him about the kingdom of God. And this proconsul's heart is open. And he's receiving what he's saying. But there was a guy in the room whose name was Elymas. And I think Elymas must have had some kind of position, some kind of authority with the Roman proconsul. He probably was like some kind of advisor. And the scripture also tells us that he was a sorcerer. Okay? Elymas. He was a sorcerer. That's what his name means. And he opposed what Paul was saying. And he tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. So here God's working in this man's heart. Paul is preaching. He's speaking. And the guy's open. And he's ready to say, I surrender my life to Jesus. I want to give my, I, I give my life to him. He's on the brink. And this Elymas is trying to be disruptive. He's trying to speak out against it. And Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looks straight at Elymas. And he says this to Elymas. He says, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Woo, baby. Being in that room. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Paul says to Elymas. And then he says this. Now, the hand of the Lord is against you, and you're going to go blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. And then Luke tells us in Acts that immediately mist and darkness came over him and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Could you imagine being in that room at that moment when God's about to work, when somebody's about to give his life and there's a disruptive force going on and the Holy Spirit comes upon someone and that person stands up with such authority that says, you, you're full of lies and deceit. You'll be blind for a time. Uh, can you just imagine being in the room? That's a bit of awe and wonder, isn't it? And in fact, the Roman proconsul, if you go read, read in Acts, he was, those guys were so amazed, they were like, they just gave their lives to Jesus. <laughs> it's like, man, I believe, I have faith. Like, yes, cut me in. What do I say? What do I pray? And he, he gave his life to the Lord. Now, I think it was more than that, but I tell you what, I think probably some of those people had dreamed like, ah, yes, Jesus, I believe, I believe, I believe, whatever, I believe. But um, this, again, is the working of the miraculous. Um, another example is, uh, uh, is um, you know, with Peter and, and uh, when Ananias and, and uh, Sapphira, you remember you, re you read about them, they actually had some land and they thought they'd sell it and then bring the proceeds back to the church and then they decided to hold some back and uh, Ananias had come in and uh, Peter said to him, uh, is, this, is this everything? And Ananias said, yes, yes, this is everything we promised that we'd give and uh, Peter said to him, why have, you, why have you lied to the Lord your God? Why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? And uh, what happened to him? He died right there, down. They carried him out. And uh, a little while later, his wife Sapphira came in. And Peter said the same thing to her, is this, is this everything? And Sapphira said, yeah, yeah, that's, that's everything. Not being honest, not being open, lying to God. And what happened to her? Same thing. Same thing. And it's really interesting that God works in this way, and, I, and, I don't, and God is a loving God. But, you know, sometimes we think God's such a loving God that we think, you know, we forget about the fact that, that there's an amount of reverence and awe for a powerful, supreme, sovereign God. And God can work in miraculous and wonderful ways. And I've just given you some examples here of the, the working of the miraculous. Again, if you read in Acts, you'll find that all of these things were signs and wonders to the people that thousands and thousands of people just began to give their lives to Christ. 
But we read of all of these, we read of all these miracles in Scripture. You know, Jesus turning water to wine, the storm on the sea being still, food being reproduced. In the Old Testament, you read about Elijah. And Elijah says, the rain's going to stop, and it stops. The rain's going to come, and it, and it comes. And, and all of these are previews of what's to come. It's a, they previews of the new creation. The universe is not heading towards, because some people think this, they think we're all going to be disembodied souls floating around in heaven with a harp. That's eternity. It's not eternity. We're heading towards a new creation, a new heaven and a new earth. That's what the scripture teaches, where every single one of you who is in Christ will be resurrected just like Jesus. Jesus went before us, and we too will have the same kind of body that he has living in a new creation. But what we're what we see now with the working of the miraculous is little glimpses of what is to come. When we read about all of these miracles, they point ahead to the new creation where there are going to be no such things that are destructive, no destructive forces, Can you, you know, no hurricanes, no tsunamis. You know, there's going to be nobody hungry, nobody sick, nobody in need, nobody without housing. It's just going to be, it really is going to be like paradise. So we can know. When we see the power of the Spirit in operation like this, if somebody gets raised from the dead or if there's food that's multiplied or if there's uh, you know, the, uh, healing miracles, they are signs of the kingdom to come. When Jesus comes, that kingdom coming in all of its fullness, we see, we see glimpses of it. And I'll tell you what, I want to see glimpses of the kingdom to come now. I really want to see that. And I, and, and I have faith to believe that God's going to work in our midst in powerful ways. The Bible is full of these miracles, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But I want to quickly focus on one kind of miracle that you might have experienced in your life. And I want to talk about God's miracle-working powers where He protects people from harm. Because this is a miracle that I know in many people's lives God has worked. And sometimes people are a little bit hesitant to say, it's God, oh, it was coincidence. No. If God's got his hand on your life, God has worked a miracle in your life. And I want to talk a bit about this because people often go through these near-death moments. You know, an almost serious accident or a very serious accident or a grave illness or, you know, an operation or a heart attack. And you think to yourself, that could so easily have gone the other way. How many of you have, have ever come close to like a brush with death? Okay, so there's quite a few of us. And how many of you would say that God protected you? That was a miracle of God. Okay, great. So right here, we have evidence of God's miraculous working power. We want to hear some of these stories, people, because your stories can encourage others amongst us. I want to tell you a little story about um, Debbie and I. And I've shared this before. But I thought it would be worthwhile to share this story again. Debbie and I, years ago, were um, in Chicago in the United States. And uh, we'd been at this conference. And at the end of the conference, we decided we'd go to one of these American malls, you know, with all the factory shops and get cheap Nikes and all this stuff before we go back. We were living in South Africa before we go back to South Africa. And anyway, so we're driving, and they drive on the wrong side of the road in America. And so I don't like driving, you know, like... I'm, I'm on the slow lane, the right-hand lane of this three-lane freeway, four-lane freeway, and uh, we're driving down this freeway, 
I'm hyper alert because, you know, it's, I'm not used to you know, driving on the wrong side of the road, the steering wheel's on the wrong side of the car, it's just America, you know. So we're driving along, and next to us is this 18-wheeler massive truck. We're going down this freeway, we're kind of coming slowly past this truck. We can't see what's going on on the other side of the truck. What was happening on the other side of this massive truck was a couple who'd been boozing it were under the influence of alcohol, and they were traveling behind a guy who was a sailor on his way to a naval base, and they decided that they were going to overtake him. So I reckon this sailor thought, these guys are crazy. He, he, he kind of pulled over to the left a little bit because now they're trying to squeeze between him. There's no, no lane, but they're trying to squeeze between the truck and this car. They la- we can't see any of it. We're going down the freeway. We're going to go shopping. This guy in the, uh, in the, in the, 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 the naval officer, he's look, watching his rearview mirror. These guys speed up, bump him. He goes into a spin and whacks into this concrete barrier. They begin to go into a spin. The driver of this truck has got a bird's eye view of what's going on next to him. He's driving his truck. He's like, woo, and he starts to slow down a little bit. And, and then this guy spins these guys start coming across the freeway. And you know how this happens like bang in an instant? And this is all happening. And here we are, we're driving along, and he comes, this truck driver, now we're, now we're a bit closer past this truck. We're just coming past him. He's slowing down. We don't know what's going on. This, this vehicle comes veering across, and this truck moves across the lane and taps us. Bang, over the back wheel. Like boom. Somehow, these, this drunken couple shot in front of that truck and behind us and down the embankment. We went into a spin. Slow motion, like a donut. I had my hands on that steering wheel. It was like, it was like this. I think it, we did it twice, like, like spinning. And you know, everything just slows down. All I heard was this truck's, the wheels of this truck just locked up. And all I heard was the rubber coming down, that's all I heard. Well, that and Debbie. (laughs) Because from Debbie's inner self came this wail I've never heard before. That wasn't me. This this horrific wail, like... It's like, it was just like this primal scream, you know. Do you know what I was doing? I was just going, Jesus, 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 Jesus. That's all I was doing. And we came to a standstill, and this truck came and right in front of us, in the middle of this freeway. All I could see was the bumper of this truck. This guy just stopped in time. We could very easily have either suffered significant bodily injury or we could have lost our lives. That, in my mind, was the miracle-working power of God. But not only that, the Bible also says that those who call on the name of the Lord will be. And in that moment, it was the only word that came to my mouth. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Without a doubt, when we got out of that car, we were shaken up. The whole back axle had been broken. 
where they had to get it to the side of the road and we had to wait for it to be towed away. But in that moment, you know, we had two little boys back in South Africa and we were like, oh, just gives you a whole new appreciation of the life that God has given you. But it was a moment for us where we just, we just knew that God had, God had a plan because God worked in that moment and it was his miraculous saving grace. And I don't know how many of you have experienced something similar. You, I saw some hands earlier, but you could probably tell the same story of the miracle working power of God. And this is what we're talking about. This is the reality of God breaking into our world. I want to share another story with you, which is another, it's a true story um, based, which happened in Japan during World War II. And this comes out of a book written by a guy, a guy whose name was Douglas Connolly. And the book is called Angels Around Us, what the Bible really says. The story is about Mitsuko Hasegawa of Hiroshima. And she, was, she came to Jesus, came to Christ through a missionary whose name was Mabel Francis. And Mabel was a missionary, but she was also a teacher. And this little girl, Mitsuko, wanted to be a missionary like her teacher. She, that was what she wanted to do, become a missionary. But then as she grew older, her family had, had entered her into this prearranged marriage, and she got married to a guy who was a non-Christian, and so she couldn't fulfill her dream of becoming a missionary. And then Mitsuko and her husband had three daughters. And when World War II broke out, her husband went off to fight in the emperor's army, and he got killed in battle. And Mitsuko tells the story that when they came to notify her, when they came to give her that official notification of her husband's death, she got so desperate. She entered into such a depression. She could see no hope. She was like, who's going to take care of us? How are we going to find food? This is just, and she, was, she got to such a bad state. She got so despondent. She saw no hope for the future that she took her three little daughters and went to a high bridge in the city of Hiroshima and she was going to hold her daughter's hands and end it, jump off of that bridge and end it. She said for her that, that was the only thing that was going to solve the situation. But by God's grace, God intervened and Mitsuko says that she just sensed God speaking to her. And she said, she sensed God saying, have you not given your life to me? Have I ever let you down? Can I not provide what was needed to feed not only you, but your three children? Can I not provide for you? And then she felt God really speak so clearly to her, and she felt God say to her, entrust your children to me. One day they're going to be missionaries, and they're going to go and do what you couldn't do. And so... In her story, she says she just repented of that selfishness, of wanting to take her life. She just broke down in tears before God. And she committed her life and her children's life into the hands of God. She said, okay, God, you take care of them. And, you know, I don't know, maybe some of you might be able to identify with a story like this because it's quite an amazing story. I know there are some people who've, who've, who have contemplated that at, at a time of taking your own life. And maybe God has intervened in some way. And again, I just want to say, if, you've, if you're sitting here and we're talking about the working of the Holy Spirit through these spiritual gifts, if you have stories that can encourage us as a church, you need to share them. You need to have the guts to get up and say, can I come and tell that story? Because it's such an encouragement in the life of the church if we can see and hear a first-hand story of the miracle-working power of God. It's an important thing. In a couple of weeks' time, 
Bronwyn Doak's going to be coming to share about the Doak family story. And again, I'd encourage you, I think that's in three weeks' time that we're going to hear that story here. So be here for that. But this wasn't the last crisis for this family in Japan. Mitsuko, she found work at a hospital in, in uh, Hiroshima. And uh, as she's working, she's now got an income. She can feed her children. She can take care of them. But she still has these thoughts coming to her. And these thoughts that, 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 that come to her are, are that she should leave Hiroshima that she should go to the hills, go to the mountains. And, and uh, she thought, what is this? I keep getting this, getting this impression. And then she thinks, well, I'm going to tell my relatives. I'm going to tell my family. And her family listened to her and go, are you crazy? What do you mean? Why would you want to leave Hiroshima? You've got a job. You can look after your children. You can feed your children. Don't do that. You, you, you're mad. They say, this, there's nothing. Hiroshima you know, is not going to get bombed. It's of little strategic importance. There's no military installations. Don't, you don't worry about it. And so she, uh, Mitsuka goes back and she continues working at the hospital and uh, she follows her family's advice. But then one day she says in, in this testimony, in the story, she says she heard this voice so loud and so clear, so urgently, you need to leave, you need to flee right now. And she, without telling a soul, she went to get her, got her daughters and she fled the city of Hiroshima, fled out of Hiroshima, fled out into the mountains. And you know what happened next, don't you? The very next day, an atomic bomb was dropped. That is the story of the miracle working power of God, the miracle protection of God. Just like you know, we read in the Old Testament about Lot. Remember, remember Lot and his family, Genesis chapter 9? God did the same thing. You've got to leave now. God led Lot and his family away from that danger, and he did the same thing for this woman. He led, led them to safety from the destruction of that city. And the beautiful thing about this is that she was standing on that bridge, and she sensed God say, entrust your children to me because they're going to do what you couldn't do. And her daughter, Mitsuko's daughter, grew up. Why am I crying again? To be a missionary, to fulfill the work of God. She married a pastor. They planted a church there in Hiroshima. And God has done amazing things through her and her husband. Her husband became very influential in the church that they were part of. But isn't that amazing to see God's goodness, God's purpose come through? And the Bible tells us, the Bible tells us to expect the miraculous. We should be the kind of people who are saying, God, you are a miracle-working God. By the power of your Spirit, you can cause miracles to happen right now. All I've got to be is available. I've just got to be available to you. And I'll be able to see things happen. I'll be able to see your power at work. I'll be able to see you demonstrate that which we hope for. The hope that we have in Jesus, I'll be able to see it breaking through right now. And it can reinforce my faith to know that one day I'll be living in a new creation where there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow. Only goodness. Jesus said this in John 14, verse 12. He said, verily, verily, he said, very truly, I tell you, all who have faith in me. Now, I want you to ask yourself a question right now. Who is your faith in this morning? Who is your faith in? Because Jesus said, all who have faith in me. Then look at these words. Will do the works that I have been doing. Now we spoke about this a little while ago. We talked when this word works comes from the Greek energemata. It's the divine working power of God. All who have faith in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. 
I, I don't know. Are you, are you with me? Are you with me? Because we, as the church of God in the West, have become watered down. And we read this and we, and we go, oh yeah, that's great. We'll do these greater things. But have you ever done it? Have you ever been available to the power of the Holy Spirit, the gifting of the Holy Spirit, and said, God, I want to do things greater than you. I want the power of God, the energimata, the divine power of God to work through me so that things can change, so that your kingdom can break through into this world in which I'm living, so that lives can be turned around, so that sickness can be gone. I didn't say this. Jesus said it. All who have faith in me. He's promising his followers that we will see even greater miracles than the ones he performed. You know what? This, this, this stretches any Christian's brain. It's a problem. It's a problem for many Christians because they struggle to believe what we read here in the Gospel of John. We read it and we go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we, we really, in terms of really believing it and saying, God, I really cling to this. I hold to this promise. Folk, I've got to tell you, the reason why we're talking about this in this church is because this church has got to be a place where there's an atmosphere of faith, where there is an atmosphere of risk, where we're saying, God, I'm ready and I'm prepared. And would you come and would you move? And in fact, that atmosphere and faith and that atmosphere of risk, I believe, should be something that should characterize all churches. But the saddest thing that we see in churches in the Western world today is very few miracles, very little of the working of the Holy Spirit, because the church is not exercising the faith that we should be exercising. We're not engaged in taking that step of faith, that little bit of a risk, because we begin to look at ourselves and we begin to doubt ourselves. Instead of saying, no, God, I'm looking to you. And it's not about me. It's about you working through me. So I, I don't care if I'm going to be a fool for Jesus. I'll be that fool. There's just something about an open expectancy to God and a willingness to step out in faith because it just it provides the atmosphere for the miraculous. And so, as I've been saying these last couple of weeks, as a church... We need to get on our knees and we need to say, God, we want to see these spiritual giftings. We want to see your spirit move. And God, we want to step out in faith. Don't hold back, people. Don't hold back. Because the moment we hold back, we're holding back the kingdom. And we are supposed to be the standard bearers. We are supposed to be saying, we're taking the ground, Lord. There are people who need to know who you are. And those three illustrations I used earlier of the proconsul and the people around in that church when Ananias and Sapphira died, people in their hundreds and in their thousands as a result of those signs and wonders came to believe in Jesus, put their faith in Jesus. And here we are struggling. And Jesus is saying, I've given you the tools. But again, it's a bit like what I did last week. You know, we put it in the cupboard and we locked the door and said, thanks, God, and we walked off. And what we've got to do is we've got to unlock this. We've got to open up again and say, Father, come. Spirit of God, come. I really believe. I don't know about you, but I believe that God wants to do the miraculous. we just got to have that earnest desire, like Paul says. We've got to have a real hunger for that spontaneous activity, that spontaneous gift of the Spirit. We've got to make room, like we sang this morning, for Holy Spirit encounters. We've got to make room for it. 
We can't just get into the little routine of, oh yeah, sing a song. And, that, and so that's why I'm saying to you, if God's moving on your heart, if God's moving in your spirit, have the guts to get up and say, I believe God's saying this. Or I believe I have a prophetic word from God. Or I believe we need to pray for this right now. Or I believe there's somebody in this room who's struggling with a pain at the bottom of their left side of their lower back. Because God can be that direct. And God wants to bring healing on you. Would you come? We need to begin to say, Lord, we want to see that in our midst. Because I tell you what, then this place is going to come alive with an atmosphere of faith.